Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. I'm going to be reading Daniel 1, 1 through 8. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of God, of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Blessed is God's word. You may be seated. Thanks, Rich. Well, we are launching into the book of Daniel. We're going to be in Daniel probably till Christmas time. And uh, oftentimes when you hear about Daniel, there's usually two stories that come into your mind, right? Uh, The fiery furnace and being thrown in a lion's den. Those are usually the ones there. And there's a lot more to Daniel than those two stories. Certainly we will hit those, those stories, but it's helpful to understand a book by understanding the context of the book. Where do we come to as we open the book of Daniel? And what we come to is actually not an exciting time. It's actually at the lowest point in the history of the nation of Israel. Looking at verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this book opens with a crisis. The land that God promised his people was overthrown. The land that God had protected for generations was in control of another powerful and pagan ruler. The temple 
which is where God's people met with God, had been pillaged. And now God's people were away from their home and they were in a foreign city and they were going to be forced to be indoctrinated with pagan practices. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like to be exiled from home to a foreign city, to be alone, to be scared, to be in the midst of completely unfamiliar surroundings. Maybe you've been on a trip to some place that was unfamiliar, but they found themselves in an unfamiliar place that they did not choose to go to. How does one cope with such a situation? If it happened to you, what would you cling to? How would you remain faithful to your God? There's a reality, friends. We we may not have experienced this where they're taken from their land, but we have an experience not unlike this because we are exiles living in a land that is not our home. We can get satiated into believing that this is our home because of the comforts and the things that we are enjoy, but this is not our home. And the book of Daniel has much to tell us and speak to us in this day. Now, there are certainly times when the world's hatred towards us becomes more evident, but the book of Daniel brought comfort and hope to the people of Israel who were experiencing brokenness and pain in the life of exile so far away from home. And this book was designed to share encouragement in their walk with God, who was with them in the midst of of their pain. We have to remember, as this book begins, it says in the third year of the reign of of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. If you're to go back and look in Kings and Chronicles, you will find that there's just an up and down of following God and not following God. And this was not one of those kings that was following God, but he was at the end of hundreds of years of Continued disobedience to God and God's people are actually in this place because of what they have done. They weren't innocent. They had sinned against God. They had rejected God. The leaders of the nation had rejected God and they were finding themselves actually in a place of judgment. But God did not leave them alone. God called them to live faithfully in exile, but they needed to be reminded that he was faithful. And that is what we are going to learn throughout Daniel. God's faithful. And that's what we learn about that right here in this passage. He is faithful in the midst of judgment. I don't know if you've experienced a time where you... You may have experienced trial or challenge in your life because you sinned, 
uh, because you made a mistake and, and you felt the weight and you felt distant from God. Even when we experience the consequences for our sin, God does not leave us alone. God did not leave his people alone and God doesn't leave us alone. God actually gave his people. If you look at the beginning of verse two, it says, and the Lord gave. He gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar and the house of God and placed the vessels in the treasury of God. And that whole thing kind of seems like, man, I can't believe this is happening to us. But at the beginning of that verse, it says, and the Lord gave God was in the midst of this situation. Though there was the fruit of sin that they were experiencing right out of the gate, the author of Daniel wants us to know that God's hand is at work. So this statement, and the Lord gave, should be a statement of comfort to strengthen readers who find themselves waiting for the arrival of God's promises. Maybe you're in that place. It's meant to be ointment that helps relieve pain of wounds that are brought on by trauma. It's meant to be a statement when everything seems hopeless and when life seems not worth living, this phrase helps people know that God is still working. Even in the midst of trial, God is still working. We use a theological word called providence. And the Westminster Confession defines providence this way. It says, God, the great creator of all things doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. God is in control over all events. There's nothing outside of the control of his hand. And God wants you to know, no matter what the circumstance that you would find yourself in, either now or in the future, that he is still there. Because God kept them. God preserved his people. Look at verse 3. It says, Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. They brought some of the people. This could say they're just, they're just done. I'm done with these people. But no, it doesn't say I'm done with these people. No, some of the people. There was a remnant that was brought. And God preserved his people. And though in exile, the fate of God's people was not in the hands of the Babylonians. The God who, who sent them there went with them to that place. As God preserved them, God will preserve you. So when life presses in on you, 
don't ever question, is God here? Even if life presses in on you because you're facing the consequences of your own failures and sin, God is there. God is there. He doesn't abandon his own. Even when life seems to be in the hands of unreasonable people, like the individual who we watched on the screen, at one time his hands were in the hands of unreasonable individuals. And he was willing to die for Christ because he knew he was in the hands of God. In his story, he happened to be released to have future ministry. But he trusted and knew that his circumstances were under the control of a sovereign, loving, heavenly father, and God will walk with you through every trial and preserve you by his grace. He is faithful in the midst of judgment. Know this. Now, here's a a side note, something we should take note of. So these these individuals were were people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. But look at verse 4 closely. These were youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So the goal of the Babylonians was we're going to teach them our language. We're going to indoctrinate them in our stuff. But why did they choose these individuals? Because they were skillful. They had knowledge. They had understanding. They were competent to stand before the king. But they were youths. Too much in our culture, we've created this category called teenager, which is not in the Bible. You're either a child or you're an adult. And God wants to use youths. God used youths here, but they were ready. They had taken time to be prepared. There are teens in this room, college age, 20-somethings. God wants to use you to be the ones that take the gospel to places where Jesus' name has not yet been known. You don't know the circumstances in which God will call you. They didn't know the time or the day in which this would happen. They didn't know that such a time as this, that they would be called. What were they doing with their time until that happened? They were doing something with their time because they had wisdom. They had understanding. They were skillful. Teens, college students, Don't waste your life. There's a reason why our youth group is going through the book that it's going through, so that you will give your lives for the sake 
of Christ because that is the greatest thing you do. We want you to be prepared. We don't know when that day will come. They didn't know when this day would come. So be ready. Be about what he is about. Give yourselves to this work. Because you may, you may go, well, they were royal family and of nobility. All you need to do is talk with Billy and Jen. Uh, they can assure you that you are people of privilege. You are people of privilege. You've been given an opportunity to have an education. You've been given an opportunity to have resources. You are people of privilege just like Daniel and his friends were people of privilege. So don't discount what God could do through you. That was just a little aside. God is faithful as we resist the allure of compromise because the call here or what's going to happen to Daniel and his friends was the goal of the Chaldeans was to indoctrinate them, to teach them the ways of their culture. I mean, they changed their names. I mean, as you look here in the text, they, they changed their names from Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they, they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Belshazzar. At reading in English, we don't get the significance of what's happening there. So Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Hananiah's name meant the Lord is gracious. Mishael's name meant who is what God is. And Azariah's meant the Lord is a helper. Their names were given to point them to their God. And so the pagans changed their names because they didn't want them to focus on their God. They wanted them to focus on their pagan gods. So the Babylonian names invoked the help of the Babylonian gods, Marduk, Bel, and Nebo, rather than Israel's Lord. So don't just think it's just like this common, like simple thing. Oh, they just changed their names. That's interesting. We kind of know them by these other names. They were trying to completely change them. And these four young men were to learn literature and language of the Babylonians. At the end of three years, the goal was complete indoctrination. That was the goal. And this is often how the enemy can work in our day. Certainly there are times where there's out and out opposition, where there's persecution, where you're thrown in prison. But in the West, at least right now, it comes subtly through the indoctrination of the world's values and practices. And they were overt in wanting to do that. There can be that and we can give in to them, but Satan wants us to compromise, but we are called to not compromise. We're called to live in this world, but not of the world. Because Daniel says in verse 8, it says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. 
So as you look at your Bibles as we continue to read, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So Daniel's making a request, and the chief eunuch is like, no, I can't honor that request because you're going to start to look peaked. If you stop eating all this good food at the king's table, you're going to start to look skimpy, and my boss is not going to like that. So you still need to keep eat the food. But then Daniel says, and he says to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days days. Daniel throws it down and says, I, I'm gonna, we're going to try to operate in this system, but we're not going to do everything. We're not going to give everything over. We're going to live here, but we're not going to be defined by what is here. So test our God in this. God will work in this. So they didn't remove themselves. They didn't say, no, we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything that you say. They're like, no, no. We're just not going to sell out to everything. They might have had dual names, but they didn't have dual identities. They were identified with God. They didn't isolate themselves, but they did stand out. And this, one of my college professors said this. He said, this reminds us that our calling is not to form Christian bubbles that are isolated from the world around us. On the contrary, we should be active in pursuing the common good of the community in which God has placed us, whatever challenges may face us. Daniel and his friends learned to work within the system. Because look, he asked, he asked permission, could we do this? And he trusted that God would give him favor. Even as we were considering moving back into this building, what should we do? What are the rules we should follow? We want to make sure we're doing the right thing. We placed a call to the local authorities and said, what should we do? We trusted the Lord. What are they going to tell us? And they're like, if you're in this building, we will leave you alone. We don't always have to be unnecessarily at odds with the world. But there are times that when we are at odds with the world, it, it will come at a cost. There was a woman who worked for a pharmaceutical company as a quality control inspector. One day, through mistaken procedures, a major order of syringes was contaminated and would not pass inspection. When reported the contamination, when she reported the contamination uh, to her boss, he quickly computed the cost of reproducing the order and made a cost-effective decision. Ship the order. He ordered her to sign the inspection clearance despite the contamination, but she refused. Because of government regulations, she was the only one that could sign the clearance. So the syringes did not ship that day. The next day, a Friday, the wife, the, this lady got a call 
She got a visit, actually, from the president of the company. He said that he would give her the weekend to think it over, but if the forms were not signed by Monday, her job would be in jeopardy. In fact, much more than her job was in jeopardy. At the time, that job was the primary source of income for her family. And the doctrine about God's attributes, his power, and his provision boiled down to one very concrete decision. Could they afford to remain undefiled from the contamination the world was urging them to approve? Was the witness of holiness worth it? Was it worth what it would cost? Unfortunately, she was forced to leave her job. Because she would not sign the clearance forms for the contaminated syringes, the order was not delivered to the customer on time. But God is faithful. Because officials of that company investigated the delay and discovered how this woman had protected them from the contaminated syringes, even at the cost of her own job. The company for which the syringes were intended was so appreciative that they hired her and increased her pay. And she was able to provide for her family. Why didn't she give in? Why did these men not give in? It's because they had resolve. It says, but Daniel, in, in verse 8, but Daniel resolved. He had a resolve. We need to be a generation with resolve. Daniel displayed a dependence on his God as she displayed a dependence on her God. Daniel's, in he, as he made his request, he, he was expressing his dependence. Rather than we're going to eat all of the foods that are given to us, no, we're going to deny ourselves things and express our dependence on God because they didn't want to repeat the same sins of the past. When King Hezekiah had sinned against his people, King Hezekiah, he, he wanted to, to preserve what was going on in his day, and he was okay with what, what would happen in the future. And this is what happened in the future. They were exiled. And they were like, we're not going to let that happen again. We're going to be dependent on God. And there are practices that we can take, or we can do that help us give dependence on God. Certainly we can give thanks to God. That helps us to acknowledge God is the one who provides. He's the one who cares for us. We did that yesterday when we gathered as a church. We started with thanking God. We can keep a record of his goodness. We can even practically practice fasting. I mean, this was a kind of fasting. They're just eating vegetables. When we fast, we are saying, well, God, we want to be aware of our dependence on you because you are a dependent on God. Every single breath you take is a gift from him. So when we fast, it simply slows us down and reminds us that we are dependent. And how else will we stay resolved? We'll stay resolved by 
by gathering. We gather for the purpose of fixing our gaze on the kingdom of heaven. We gather to remind one another of our true home. That's why we gather here on Sunday mornings. That's why we gather in our small groups through the week, not just because we love hanging out, though we love hanging out together. We gather to point ourselves back to Christ because we can't preserve our heavenly identity on our own. Left to ourselves, the pressures of this world will inevitably crush us. So let's remind one another of our true citizenship when we gather in our small groups or on Sundays. But, but when, did they, when did this resolve come? He had this resolve, but when did it come? Because remember, he's a youth. It's not like he's got like 40 years of, of experience we don't know for sure, but these men were likely in their teens or 20s. No one's looking at me and calling me a youth, okay? So certainly not in the 40s. So where did they get this resolve? I think the answer comes as shared uh, by Pastor David Helm. He said, childhood often holds the key. These four privileged youths spent all of their formative years growing up under King Josiah. If you remember that from the Old Testament, they grew up under King Josiah, the great religious reformer in Judah. He was a king who surpassed Asa, Hezekiah, and Jehoshaphat in his godly zeal and influence. The historical account in 2 Kings 22 and 23 shows that he repaired the temple. He recovered the law. He called for repentance. He led reforms. He returned God's word to the center of Israel's life. He deposed ungodly priests. He restored the celebration of the Passover. He did it all while Daniel and the three were young. And they were being reared. The kind of resolve we see in Daniel and his friends comes from this rich, fertile soil of his childhood under a godly king. So though I know I talk to the young people as we get in the outset because these were young people, but the reality is, is they had resolve because they had a bunch of old people that they were looking up to. They had people who were their parents' age and beyond they had a king who had no compromise, who put God first in his life, who sought to lead the nation in following God. So you have a responsibility. If you are here and you think, well, you know, this is to the youths, and I know we want to help raise the next generation. God is not done with any of you yet. God is calling you to be an example. I love that our church has all kinds of generations here because the young need to learn from you. They need to know from you that God is faithful. They need to know when they come to this, even though they haven't experienced it, that you've experienced things in your life where God has met you. He's met you in the times where things were going great and he's met you in the deep, dark valleys. Ladies, you need to come alongside the younger ladies. And you say, honey, it's, it's gonna be okay. He is faithful. Men, you need to come alongside the other men and you need to say, son, he is faithful. You can believe him at his word. 
because we want the next generation to have a greater resolve than maybe we even had. Maybe we didn't have those individuals to look up to who, who walked with Christ. Some of you have. I've heard your story. Some of you had, and it's made a, an amazing, drastic difference in your life. Some of you younger folks don't know. We have some older folks in our congregation that went to the mission field, but the, they had parents who loved Jesus with all their heart. Why would they have the faith to go? Because a foundation was laid. So we have a responsibility, church, to lay a foundation for the next generation. That foundation isn't just the teaching that we have. It's your life example that they will follow. So continue to press in, press upwards towards God. Because people of resolve are fashioned. They are made. They don't just appear out of nowhere. We do need to ask, what kind of young people are we trying to raise? Whether it's college students or young professionals or upper high school, just starting out in the world, Daniel encountered in his early life a conflict. but he lived his life for God. Winston Churchill said, but now I pity undergraduates when I see what frivolous lives many of them lead in the midst of precious fleeting opportunity. Daniel and his friends, they were effectively at a secular university. That's what was going on for them. And they did not prioritize their own pleasures they didn't even prioritize their own promotion. They resolved to be pure. Again, teens, college students, I think it's God's providence that that, that row got moved up this morning so you guys could be just that much closer. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You've got one. And you're living it. You actually have two. If you trust in Jesus, you have two because you're going to live. You're going to live for that life. Spend this life to gain all you can in that life. Be a generation of resolve. And thirdly, God is faithful as he extends mercy. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Vegetables are good for you, apparently. Now, God, God was working. So the steward took away their food and the wine uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 
10 times better. Not just kind of better, 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. God gave them favor. Not for the sake of wealth. God gave them favor for his glory. God gave them favor because he wanted them to stand before the king. God is going to call some of you young people to stand before people of influence. And he's not going to give you favor because you're awesome. He's going to give you favor because he's awesome. And he wants you to display his glory before the kings of this world. Because remember, there was one other that had favor with God and man, and his name was Jesus. Because when he was young, the, the teachers were amazed at his understanding and his answers. God, God blesses when we honor him. Now, we, are, we do not believe in the prosperity gospel. We're not preaching, do this so you can be blessed. Because we have to remember, look at the last verse of this chapter. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel, though given favor by God, the entirety of his life was lived in exile. He wasn't living his best life now. He was living in exile. Daniel was preserved but he remained captive his entire life, maybe over 90, till he was over 90 years old. He would see his people forced into slavery for decades. They would be forced to bow to pagan gods. Some of the visions and prophecies that we will learn about were about the judgment that would come to the people that were his own. He would never see his homeland again. His hope could not be in his changing circumstances. His hope had to be in the promise of a faithful God. Because God, as he preserved Daniel, he would preserve a nation that would produce a king that will reign in a kingdom that will have no end. Because Daniel's life isn't ultimately for us to look to and go, oh, we want to be like Daniel. Let's just dare to be like Daniel. We do want to be like Daniel, but Daniel's life points us to a more significant life, and that's the life of Jesus Christ, who perfectly lived his life so that he could go to a cross and suffer unjustly to pay for the penalty for our sins. And we need to trust in him so that we can have a relationship with God in eternity. This points us to Christ. Not just an example of Christ. Dr. Ian Dewey said this. He said, he is not only, he not only pioneered the route home, talking about Jesus, he is the route home. 
Daniel is an example for us. Jesus is the savior that we must hold on to, that we must follow, that we must give our lives for. Jesus is the way home. Brian Chappell said, Daniel's willingness to risk everything to make that redeeming God powerfully known expresses how great and precious is the incomparable grace of God towards those who will trust in him. Though we may walk away from him, he will not walk away from us. Even if we fail to live as Daniel did in this account, God perseveres in his love as demonstrated through Daniel's life. Friends, remember the original readers of this were in a place of trial and struggle. But this last verse, though for Daniel, we know he was in exile for all his life. It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's significant. Because if you were to flip in your Bibles to the beginning of the book of Ezra. This is what's at the beginning of Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me to given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. King Cyrus was the king that gave the order to build the house of God again so that God would dwell among his people. There's a ray of hope even in the midst of this trial that God would be with his people and we know that God has come to be with his people because he dwelt among us and that was Jesus. So as we begin to study this book, may we see Christ. May we live our lives for Christ. May we be stirred because of Christ. And let us use Daniel's life. May God use Daniel's life to stir us, to stir us not to waste ours, but to use them to bring God glory and to know he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that you moved on the hearts of four faithful servants who lived long ago, but they serve the same God that we serve. They experienced your faithfulness. And we too can experience that same faithfulness. We can experience that same comfort. We can experience that same resolve because you sent your son, Jesus, that we could have relationship with you and we could have assurance that you are always with us, even to the end of the age. So I pray, God, that we would live in the good of this truth to your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Well, why don't we stand and respond to God's word?
Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.